Well, thanks, Justin. I, I think there's something about that living hope, like something that actually has breath and life to it that we are placing our hope in and orienting our lives around. And then to be able to come and declare that truth and worship together, I think is so foundational to what it means to be renewed. And speaking of renewal, uh, I am sitting here on the tail end of a wonderful week down in uh, the Gulf Coast uh, with some friends, and we have gathered around. Uh, the Sundays and the Bosworths are here, and you can see what we're doing. Uh, and uh, we are uh, finishing up our week together and heading back. And the thing I want to talk about today, because we've been going through this series in the book of Psalms. And part of the idea of renewal, it's contrasted with work, which seems to occupy the majority of our lives. And so when we start talking about work, there's a lot of ways to talk about it, but they're often not very positive. In fact, we use phrases like, oh man, it's starting to feel like work, as if work is entirely unenjoyable and something to not actually be appreciated or you know find something you love doing and you'll never work a day in your life again the idea is work is somehow bad and leisure is somehow better or good or you can see the bumper sticker that would say oh worst day of fishing is better than the best day of work uh, but it's the idea that effort is somehow to be minimized or maybe even avoided well work is something that is more than supposed to be tolerated. Um, I think since work is a major component of our life and it's unavoidable, um, the, maybe the better perspective is to see that the whole of life is spiritual, that somehow God isn't part of a aspect of our life, but is encompassing all of our lives together. And so today, whether you're a student, whether you're an hourly employee or an executive, whether you're a teacher, someone who practices healthcare, works in technology, or you're a stay-at-home parent, God has designed us not for inactivity, not for leisure, but to bear much fruit. So if you want substance in life, if you want meaning in life, if you want purpose in life, we need to orient our lives around bearing much fruit. And that is a greater proposition than simply ambition or accomplishment um, or, or goal setting. There is a way to bear fruit that I want to unpack out of this passage that I think will make a huge difference in our lives. And so, in fact, humanity's original calling, if you go back to the beginning in Genesis, the idea was our original calling was to be work. Adam starts by naming the animals and he tends to the garden. That's called science and agriculture. He's told to subdue the earth. That's called politics. There needs to be a way society gets organized and governed. All of us are entrusted with what I would consider holy work. Now, Monday morning might not feel entirely holy to you, but think about this. Parents, you're entrusted with the lives of young children. Citizens are entrusted with voting. Businesses are entrusted with ventures to provide goods and services at a fair price. If you're entrusted with sort of medicine, you're to deliver health to sick and injured or to create art, discoveries in science. My point is this, our work is actually an act of worship. 
So when you show up to work tomorrow, work this week, I want you to think about it as if now you're beginning to walk on holy ground, like you're entering a worship service. Let me give you some examples of people who I think have really made a difference. You might be familiar with a couple of these. I've referenced some friends that I've just been impacted by. Years ago, I was talking to my friend Kenny. Kenny was working for an international manufacturing company. They had basically large manufacturing plants in South America. And he was working for them and he would go on site and he would see the conditions they were working in. He was really active in his church, a large church in Florida. And he started to sense this calling, if you will, uh, to serve God in a ministry capacity. So he resigned his job at this clothing manufacturer to go work as a youth pastor of this really large church, except that he began to realize that he got pulled out of this world and a different kind of ministry, and he started working with kids. It wasn't bad, but his eyes began to be open about maybe the missed opportunity that he was a chance to maybe advocate for better working conditions. He was a, ch a chance to advocate for better wage increases for migrant poor. Well, he moved to San Francisco and he started a small business, a hardwood flooring business. And what he started doing, living in San Francisco with three kids on about $35,000 a year, he was now being invited into people's homes. And he saw people who were inviting them into his home as not dollar signs, but people with whom God had invited him to bless. He simply woke up to the reality that God is the source of every good and perfect gift. So the people that need my care, my services are those in whom I'm entrusted to bless. And then he started hiring workers, second chance workers, workers who came out of maybe a conviction or maybe had a drug addiction. And he looked at this as people to reform and disciple in the way of Jesus. This was his business model. But it took him working from an international manufacturer and taking advantage of poor labor, working in a church to becoming the businessman God had called him to be. I remember years ago uh, talking to a friend, Jeremy, who has just had done really well in technology, but was really unfulfilled. He was one of the original employees of a semiconductor company, and he was just scratching his head like, what else do I do? This, there's got to be something more. And the two things that he really loved was being a dad to four kids, <clears throat> serving his family and serving his church. He, he felt like he had a teaching gift. And so he was scratching his head wondering, should I go to seminary? Should I become like a teacher in the church, become a pastor? And I said, like, well, let's talk about doing your day job, maybe in 45 hours a week. It's something that you're familiar with, you're good at, but maybe God's called you to serve there, but not derive your worth from there. And then we create these opportunities for you to do the things that you love and actually feel called to do. And so you define your worth outside of your workplace. You define your, your sense of value, significance, impact, not by what you do for work, but by who you are. And so he got really invested in, um, in coaching his kids and seeing that as a ministry. He got really involved in a teaching ministry uh, in, our, in our families group, and he got really invested in, in drawing in other dads in a men's Bible study. I had another friend, Mike, who had started an, uh, a, 
a company from scratch and he ran it for about 12 years only to sell it and make millions. And when I posed the question to him, I said, Mike, what are you going to do now? He says, I don't know. I just got to figure out what to do next so that I can use my gift of giving. See, to all of these men, what they do during the day never defined them. What they did was only a means in which to serve God and bless others. One of my favorite scholars is a lady out of Michigan. Her name's Lois Toberger, and she had this description. The Bible speaks of skilled workers as having wise hearts. In fact, the Hebrew word chokmah is the word for wisdom, and it describes the ability to function well in life, whether it's by having the right approach to a difficult situation or the ability to weave cloth. Judaism is historically held manual labor in the highest regard. And as Westerners, we tend to think that God is only involved in, quote, spiritual activities. But when we learn biblically, it's considered the wisdom to do our jobs really well. So work can either be good or bad. An area where our flaws uh, or our lack of fulfillment are magnified or where our faith matures. I don't know what your day job is right now, but two realities exist. It can bring out sort of our flaws and our warts, or it can be a chance to leverage our faith for the benefit of others and the glory of God. In Psalm 127, we're going through this journey. It was a literal journey that the people of God would take on this annual pilgrimage, and they would sing songs along the way to renew and refocus their hearts and their minds. And in Psalm 127, it's describing this picture of work, and it explains both the right way and the wrong way to go about work. Listen to how he says it. This is um, Eugene Peterson's translation of the message. It's in your chat section if you want to follow along. But he says, if God doesn't build the house, the builders only build shacks. The New International Version would say, the laborers are in vain. If God doesn't guard the city, the night watchman might as well nap. It's useless to rise early and to go to bed late and work your fingers to the bone. Don't you know that he enjoys giving rest to those whom he loves? See, the premise is in, of this psalm is that God, in fact, works and wants to use our labor to work out our salvation in the midst of a broken creation. And as we seek meaning and impact just in our lives, it helps to consider that there's so much more in life than simply what we do. There's always going to be another rung on the ladder to climb. There's always going to be another goal we might set. And I would just argue, I think that is a pathway to unfulfillment. But if we start to see God as the whole of life, that everything is spiritual, then work becomes a means in which we can live into a God-giving uh, fulfillment and calling. Now, the character of our work is not shaped by the accomplishments or our possessions, but in the birth of relationships. Think about this. I don't, I don't imagine that I'll ever be invited to speak in any a guest lecture in any MBA program. Business schools are not going to be knocking on my door. But what if people were the new bottom line, regardless of your day job? 
It makes little difference how our culture values and rewards our work if God doesn't. That's what this psalm is talking about. In other words, how we do our work is more important than what our work produces. Because in God's economy, the end never justifies the means. Now, you might say, well, pastor, you don't work in corporate America. You don't work in the cutthroat world that I work in. There was one editor of this magazine that I often read called Plow Magazine, and the editor, Peter Mosman, said this. He says, when the New Testament writers use the words translated in the English as vocation or calling, they're never referring to work, much less to a particular trade or profession. The New Testament knows only one form of vocation, discipleship. So God wants to use your workplace, whatever your work is, stay-at-home parent, student, or, 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 or drawing a paycheck from some organization as a way to shape you further into his image. So now picture with me this annual pilgrimage that they would make as an extended family with neighbors away from their occupation. Like I'm away, we're all away from our normal place to refocus their attention. They built into their lives a rhythm for renewal where their hearts, their bodies, their priorities, their relationships could be renewed. Now in Psalm 127, their effort to worship God in community, because God wasn't to be sought in isolation. Faith is always to be worked out in community. And it was a reminder of, that all of life's blessings are simply gifts from God rather than any achievements of our own. Look how it describes the return on investment. Verses three through five say it this way. And this is as a, a point of illustration that if God doesn't build the house, our labors are in vain. He uses the point of children to illustrate what he's talking about. Don't you see that children are God's best gift? The fruit of the womb is the generous legacy. Like a warrior's fistful of arrows are the children of a vigorous youth. Oh, how blessed are you parents with your quivers full of children. Your enemies don't stand a chance against you. You'll sweep them right off their doorstep. The, the, the NIV would describe it this way in saying that you would, no one would have a, a, a case against you in the courts. As they entered the city, those were where the, often the courts were held for, for public um, judicial acts. Listen to how he describes. He grants sleep. In other words, a good harvest, and they're speaking to an agricultural society, is not the achievement of long hours and hard work, but it's the result of God's blessing. Wait, but I worked hard. It was the sweat off my brow. I tilled the soil. I know, but who gave you the strength to do that? Verse three talks about sons, talks about children. Children too are a gift, not the mere product of masculinity and, and fertility. Heritage emphasis is on the gift rather than on the possession. Notice how God illustrates the source of our work with children. What do we actually literally achieve or get sons and daughters? No offense to birthing moms, but not much. There's very little effort extended in having a, or conceiving a child. We know how to conceive, but it's only through God's spirit 
that we get life. The entire miracle of procreation, of reproduction, requires simply our participation, but it's hardly work. The point here to understand is that God is the source of life, including our work, even when it's our skill and our effort. Unless the Lord builds the house, our labors are in vain. But he always, always, always invites us to participation. And again, this is what's to shape us further into the image of God. Now, to a Christian, we need to see, what we need to see is bringing benefit to people should be at the center of our work. As we invest in people, keep in mind, we're not schmoozing clients. We're, we're, we're not schmoozing teachers so that they'll like or give our kids special treatment. We're not trying to schmooze customers to make our lives better in some way. No, no, no. People aren't dollar signs. People aren't someone. God is the source. And if we just bless others and trust God to be the source of our lives, we will be in good hands. What we're simply doing is making deposits. We're sowing seeds in, in God's creation by learning names, offering help, by, by, by being gracious in a business context, by reflecting God's care, God's generosity, God's provision. See, and as we do, what ends up happening figuratively is that we develop sons and daughters. Think about this. If you've been in a workplace long enough where you've seen people do work well and do work poorly, ethically and unethically, you have developed a natural attraction to watching and maybe even asking yourself, what would they do in this circumstance? Those are sort of workplace sons and daughters. We're becoming like a mentor to people who are shaping. We discover brothers and sisters, people who maybe we work alongside, stand shoulder to shoulder with in support and encouragement. This is what it means to both literally and spiritually have your quiver full of arrows. It's a ready defense. It's a totally different way of thinking about our vocation, which is our calling. What I'd like to do is watch a short video to just summarize a little bit of this on how we work regardless of our day job. And as we do, I just want to first listen to the words of Eugene Peterson, who described the process of discipleship as long obedience in the same direction. Some of you are just beginning your careers. Some of you have been at your careers for over 20 years. But listen to these words of Eugene Peterson, and then we'll watch the video. But he says, the work of God is defined and described in the pages of Scripture. We have models of creation. What are you creating in your job? We have acts of redemption. What are you working to redeem in your workplace? We have examples of help and compassion, standards of comfort and salvation. One of the reasons that Christians read scripture repeatedly and carefully is to find out how God works in Jesus Christ so that we can work in the name of Jesus Christ. What is your work really about? Not what you do for a living, but what is your work really about?